Hi, welcome to Totem Talks. I'm Helen Fruin. I'm Mark Smith. And today we are talking about business. We are indeed, which is a departure from our usual topics of around psychology, I guess. Uh, but it's coming off the back of a, a podcast you were recently guest upon. I was indeed Which a guest. is very exciting. So tell us a bit exciting. more about that. So this is the Entrepreneur Podcast, uh, which is part of Mantra HQ. Mantra is a marketing consultancy, a guy named Johnny Pawlik running that business. And he set up this rather recent Entrepreneurs Podcast. I think I was episode... 14 or something so it's, it's relatively new like us mm-hmm. and it was being an entrepreneur podcast asking me questions about the journey I've taken to being a director of a business and how that business has taken shape how we get to know our clients needs what our clients say is good about us that classic difficult question of what makes you unique or better than your competitors uh, and then some questions about the future of our industry so it was a really interesting like you say quite a different topic mm-hmm. for me to talk about because although I run a business I don't tend to spend a lot of time talking to other people about running a business. No so for everybody who is new to listening to Totem Talks this is a bit different from the usual fare. So if you want more psychology, go and have a rummage through the other episodes. But today we're going to be focusing about the the entrepreneurial side of business and running a business and what it takes to really get started. We've got a lot of friends, families, colleagues who have in recent times talked very much about starting their own business or going out alone. And there are a couple of things that we could we could share with people in terms of what to watch out for, uh, what to be aware of, and maybe one or two definitely do not. I'm going to start with you. What makes you think you're any good as an entrepreneur? Oh, that's a killing question to not prepare me for. I <laughs> like it. No worries, mate. <laughs> what makes me think I'm any good as an entrepreneur? Hmm. That's the question. Okay. Uh, so the first response I have to that is that I don't, and that I have a lot of imposter syndrome around being a business owner. Mm -hmm. In fact, when Johnny Pawlik invited me to the entrepreneur podcast, I had a lot of, but I'm not really an entrepreneur. I'm just running this little business. It's not that big a deal. It's not like we're 200 staff offices all over the UK. Uh, so I have a lot of imposter syndrome about being an entrepreneur. And then I look at other people in our industry and other people in different industries who haven't really got a good sense of how to run a good business. We've come across lots of people speaking to us saying, uh, I, I don't really get how to talk about profit. And I'm thinking you're running a business. How do you not know how to work out your profit margins and how to consider your costing to make sure you are making a profit? Yeah. Uh, we've had a lot of people come to us and say, oh, I don't really know how to find new clients or I don't really know how to speak to clients and really understand what they're looking for and when you look at our client list you know I'm so proud we're working with Dyson with Disney with Discovery and other companies who don't begin with D's (laughs) (laughs) you know it's an amazing client list and I suppose when I get out of the imposter syndrome mess of my own head there is a pride with who we're working with the longevity of our clients you Mm. know KFC have been a client since 2013 there's really that sense that we get to work with people we get to work with them for a long time because we're good at what we do yeah and I guess that gives me confidence that I'm a good entrepreneur yeah I mean to answer the question for myself um, I don't have any sense of imposter syndrome anymore Mm. because I've been doing this for 
10, 12 years. Well, however, I've been doing it a long time. I'm still here. I'm still paying my bills. So I, I've figured something out. Uh, it seems to be a little bit more than most people. So I, I don't have that sense of imposter syndrome. What I definitely do still have is that initial, I don't have a regular salary fear anymore. So when I first left a salaried position to go self-employed, as I was back then, the panic that sets in when you realize that you don't have a guaranteed mortgage payment coming into your account the following month, that's actually quite a big fear to be dealing with. And it never actually goes away for me. It, it, it has gone away to some degree, but I think in the last maybe five years, I've spent a lot of time repurposing that fear and anxiety into a motivational thing. Uh, you have to be careful with how you deal with that kind of anxiety and fear as a self-employed person. You can turn it into panicked activity and there is nothing more off-putting to a client than a desperate salesperson. In front of I'm so desperate to pay my mortgage. Please give me money. Yeah, yeah. it's not really going to work. You, you really need to not take it there. But in terms of using it as a source of motivation to A, get out of bed in the morning, mm. uh, B, send a couple of emails, C, have a, just a, a quick look at you know your finances and what you can and can't do. Um, it can be a really sustaining kind of anxious energy mm. to to power. I wouldn't say all of your business because I think you're doing something wrong if it if it's that, but mm. certainly to sustain momentum, mm. particularly in in down and off off days, sure, or months as it as it transpires. Yeah, right. And I think it's interesting because you talked a fair bit there about being self-employed, and you were self-employed for about a year. At yeah. the beginning of all of this, I just wonder what difference you notice, if any, between being self-employed and being a company director. Uh, I think there's a level of responsibility uh, to myself, sort of, but mainly to the other directors. And also it, it shapes it shapes my mindset as well. From going from self-employed where I was looking after me, to now as a director of a company, I am mm. looking after the company. And I mean, legally, I'm obligated to the company as well. So bear that in mind if you're going to be starting your own limited company. You're not completely off the hook, people. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it becomes my it becomes my responsibility and it changes my behaviour in kind of subtle ways. And I think more now about the company, the brand, the impact that our work has on us as a business, not just us as a bank account. Uh, it's, yeah, it elevates the conversation with other people as well. So I, I think it just brings a, a little bit more rigor and professionalism, I think, mm. to my day-to-day -day activities by being a director. And I, that's where I, I start to see what I'm losing by being a self-employed person. Mm. But it's also where I start to see what I'm gaining by being uh, a director of a business. So okay. there is a subtle shift uh, when you think about it that way. Mm. Okay. I think it's interesting because you've just talked about professionalism. So I'm now gonna say something that sounds really unprofessional. Big and chunky. Big and chunky. So everybody who is familiar with the movie Madagascar, uh, shout out to whoever made that movie. Who made that movie? Uh, not Disney. So <laughs> who's the other studio who make Warner ooh, Brothers? Oh dear. Oh, this, ooh, is, yeah. ooh, this is embarrassing. Yeah. Let's anyway, just, yeah. that movie Madagascar. Yeah, yeah it's great. Uh, <laughs> there's a scene 
halfway through the movie where the giant hippo, Moto Moto. Moto Moto. My is... name's so good, I say it twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that character. He's <laughs> uh, climbing out of the pond and he's going over to a, a prospective uh, date. Mm-hmm. And he says to the girl, you're huge. And he goes on to say that he likes his women big. He likes them chunky. He likes them round and he likes them plumpy. And the the reason for this completely (laughs) irrelevant story is we struggled as a business for the first two to three years of our time in existence because we undervalued our work, because we had no confidence approaching the big, inverted commas, uh, bigger clients. And we felt like because we were so small, we should only operate with companies around our size. And I think there was a huge thing about starting out as a business and thinking, well, I need to be busy. I hear Mm. this every single time I speak to somebody who's setting out by themselves. You know, I need to be working at least a nine till five, maybe an eight till six, maybe a seven till seven. Just keep expanding the hours that you're working Mm. because surely that will result in better work and more money coming in. That's poppycock. Right, absolute rubbish. And I think that was driving some of our activity in those early days that we thought the more activity we do, let's go to this local breakfast networking club and speak to people who are painters and decorators. Complete waste of our time. Yeah. And we felt like that was the only thing we could do to be busy to try and bring in business. Yeah. Actually, if you work for two hours a day targeting big clients who you actually want to work with and who've got the budget, frankly, to pay you for that work... That makes a huge difference. So yeah. big and chunky was life-changing for us. Life-changing. So as a mantra, we adopted it as a company for quite a while, actually. It was, we like clients who are big. We like clients who are chunky. And our energy was entirely focused after that into doing business with companies who have the budget to sustain us as a business. We found that we were we were operating in the veterinary space for a little while. We found that we were having six to eight week sales conversations with veterinary practices to sell maybe a thousand pounds worth of coaching or leadership development. We were having similar lead time conversations with aforementioned companies and we were talking about 10,000 pound projects. And when you, when you start to factor in the cost of sale, Mm. you start to think, well, why am I spending my time talking to much smaller businesses when the bigger businesses have given me a better return for a very similar input. But that was only part one of the how to get clients Mm. kind of approach for us. The second most important one and a limiting factor for anyone who thinks this is uh, the right way to do business. We grow our sales pipeline organically. We don't push. We don't have a great deal of marketing. We are complete noobs on in Instagram and Twitter. LinkedIn is, in my opinion, a bit of a swamp, and I'm not really interested in trying to get business from there because I think the same rules apply. You're, as a HR director of a business, I'm not going to spend 50 grand on a project from somebody's LinkedIn post. It's not happening. Um, so what we have done as a business is that we have focused specifically on being nice people. Be a good human being. Be a nice Yay. person. Be helpful, be honest, be genuine. If someone needs some support and it's just going to cost you, just do it. Uh, and what that means is that 
we develop genuine relationships with our clients and to the point where some of our clients are no longer clients, they're actually mates. And that's a really great place to be. Um, it's really rewarding for us in terms of our well-being mm. as, a, as a business. It's really rewarding for us financially as well, I'm not going to lie. And what it does mean, however, is that your sales progress is really, really slow. You're not going to see huge incremental gains year on year. You're not going to get 10% growth every year because you can't foster relationships that well that quickly. And trying to bring other salespeople into the mix to do that as well is quite a challenge because most salespeople have been trained the opposite way. Mm, push, push. Push, push. And to tell a salesperson, a well-trained <laughs> salesperson, actually, you could take Wednesday off. We're looking for quality of, of relationships, not quantity. That completely baffles them. Yeah. Uh, we've often spoken to our, uh, we had a business coach for a little while, and we said, we don't have sales targets. And that completely blew their minds. They were like, well, what do you do? And we're like, well, <laughs> we, we just, we just, we work. We work well, we work hard. Um, we look after the people within our sphere of influence. And that's, that for us is being a business. That kind of forms our USP a little bit as well. I'd like to think that some, some clients would, would agree with that in terms of us supporting them through the various different wiggles in life. And I think what's been really fascinating for me Almost as a, I don't do a lot of the sales stuff, so I'm away from the relationships, but seeing seeing Helen in particular uh, working with different people is that they're not just somebody with a budget anymore. They're somebody who has, you know, had has perhaps had cancer or their kids going through a difficult point. And you really get to know people's lives yeah. and the conversation with them becomes just so much more fruitful and that is a value of mine. I think it's a value of yours as well. And it's at that point I go back to thinking that I'm an entrepreneur because I'm doing something that's so powerfully aligned to my values. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't care if I'm earning money or not. See, I love that because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they're making their success out of the push-push sales approach, having sales targets, having great salespeople, and that's working for them. Mm. And that's what is being a great entrepreneur. Whereas for you, being a great entrepreneur is doing work that is aligned to your values, really makes you feel you're being a good human being and pays the mortgage too. Yeah. That seems like a really helpful combination. I feel like I'm retired, but I have a mortgage to pay. It's, it's the bizarrest confluence of, of circumstance. But I would challenge your definition of entrepreneur. Mm. This is the thing. I think the word entrepreneur has been absolutely abused in the last five years or so. Mm. And it means so many different things to so many different people now uh, that I, I don't have a great deal of trust. So when someone says, I want to be an entrepreneur, I'd really like to dig down into, mm. actually, what do you mean by that? A lot of people talk about work-life balance when they start talking about right. being an entrepreneur. A lot of people talk about being an, a YouTube star. When, see, I think of entrepreneur as being more innovative. I see. You know, you Tesla, I've lost his name. Musk. Elon, Elon Musk, uh, yeah, that is an entrepreneur down to the bones. Mm -hmm. And I'm not that guy. I'm nowhere, nowhere near that. But if you're talking about some kind of work-life harmony, as Grace Marshall puts it, I love that instead of work-life balance, a work-life harmony where I my values are being hit by all of my work. I'm being a good human being. I'm paying my mortgage. That's it's very different. I think I would challenge you on that. I think. 
I think in the last three to four months, we have had to do a lot of changes, make mm. a lot of changes within the business. We have pivoted. We have pivoted. We have yes. pivoted the this business. This is funny. At the beginning of COVID-19, people were saying, you're going to pivot your business. I'm saying, oh, we're, yeah. not, we're not really pivoting our business. Yeah. We did. We took all of our business online. We took all of our business online as opposed to some of it. Um, we've had to come up with new processes. We've, we've, we've done an awful lot of work in order to make sure the business is still sustainable. So whilst you look at someone like Elon Musk and you can say, oh, wow, he's got his finger in that pie and this pie and over there. Um, yes, the process I think, behind that is yeah, the same. Yeah, the process behind that is yeah. continuous reinventing of a thing yeah. or many things. And I think we, we do have that, but within the umbrella of one, co- one company. So mm. that's, that's the entrepreneurial kind of vibe for me. Yeah. Yeah. You talked a lot uh, offline, outside of these conversations, about your fascination with risk profiles. Yeah. How does that play into being a business owner? So I, I want to give a, a big, huge thank you to a couple of friends of ours. Don't know who they are. Uh, we went out for dinner with them many moons ago, and we asked them, what What do you think is a, a safe uh, amount of money to have in a bank account before you venture out or or you start running a business, how, how much money would you have, because uh, they were finance directors at the time, uh, how much money do you have as a business to, to maintain your operational costs? And rather frustratingly, and completely as an accountant would do, they said, well, that depends. <laughs> uh, but usefully, that depends upon your risk profile. And I, I scratched my head for a little bit and thought, well... Well, what, what, I, I don't necessarily know what that is, so let, let's have a little think about that. And it was only when I started to work with other people that I realized their risk profile was different to mine and I could begin to understand my own. So uh, a previous colleague uh, had the preference to run the company with three months' worth of running costs within the business. So on the assumption that the world ends and no money comes into the account. We could sustain our lives for three months. Um, that was not within my uh, comfort zone, within my risk profile. My risk profile is actually 12 months worth of running costs within the business. So that I know that if no work comes in for 12 months, I've been able to pay uh, my staff, my suppliers, all of those kinds of things. And a lot of people would argue that that is... It's, far too conservative having 12 months worth of capital tied up just doing nothing frank frankly it's a waste it's an absolute waste and yeah. you could be reinvesting that in new staff and blah 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 and i say to those people uh yeah covid19 comes along mm. i'm sitting here fairly comfortably actually i'm not happy <laughs> <laughs> i want to see that bank account growing I'm not I'm happy, kind of where it is. but i am comfortable i am not panicked at yeah. the moment and i think where I would like to go to next is the business cycle. So to, it happened in 2008. Businesses who had cash piles in 2008 survived. They survived because A, they could continue marketing. They could continue paying their staff. And when they emerged from the 2008, say when 2011 it began to pick up, they were in a stronger position than some of their competitors who had been leveraged with debt and all those kinds of things. And I learned that lesson from 2008. And I had no idea what would be coming, but I did know that something was coming because that is the cyclical nature 
of business. It's the and way the economy. It's the way that we've we've built the economy. It, to say that the boom and bust cycle is mm. no longer valid is is drivel. It's still there, and you can see it playing out within businesses as well. If you look back over the history of any large company, they will have been through an expansionist period. So the board will say, okay, we need to grow the business. So they will bring in some visionary who is whose job it is to grow the business. They will overgrow the business. They'll stretch it out like General Electric, far too big, far too quickly, can't do anything well. And now they're slashing and they're burning and they're cutting. So they've now gone to a reductionist vision and making people redundant. In about five years time, I will put 50 quid on the fact that they will get a new CEO in who pushes more growth. And you can see that everywhere mm. in the business world, that kind of cyclical nature. And it becomes a bit of a merry-go-round. And you're mm. like, well, you're just trying to time when you do and don't <laughs> jump in to a particular client or not. It's, you know, it's, it's that that I think is, needs to be impressed upon people who are thinking about starting their own company. And I think, again, your point about your risk profile, wanting to have that 12 months worth of running costs available in the bank, uh, and it really gets past because I was thinking before when we we were both saying I can pay my mortgage, I can pay my mortgage, and that really doesn't sound big and chunky. Having twelve months running costs in the bank and money invested elsewhere because that's a sensible business decision. That's what two company directors are doing as opposed to a yeah. self-employed person paying their mortgage. And I yeah. think what you're describing there about the cyclical nature of business, how we're investing in our business in our staff, in our resources, you know, having decent kit to work with, all of these things make a huge difference. They do. And I, the, 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 what, what you can invest in really elevates you. So a lot of, I think, 70% of our clients, they're not able to do business with somebody who has a Gmail account. So you have to have enterprise grade uh, in IT in order to work with a number of banks, for example, mm. we're experiencing some... Ooh, FSQS fun at the moment oh, with our yeah. banking clients. Oh, it's exciting <laughs> stuff. But yeah, so so there is in terms of elevating your game to that next level, mm. if you're going to grind it out as a, a self-employed person or you're going to get together with a few friends, to make that next step from um, just yourself or just a loose collective to being uh, a company of entrepreneurs, uh, you, you do have to consider that that investment step um, you can't just continue to take money from the business mm. um, you, you need to leave some behind it doesn't have to be 12 months worth sure that's your it, risk profile that's your risk profile but it does have to be something and you do need to consider how the business will will need those resources as opposed to you as a mm. person if that makes sense it yeah yeah so as always it's been fascinating just shooting the breeze and chatting about business Thank but i you. guess if uh, someone's listening to this who is thinking maybe about leaving their job setting up their business maybe they've been redundant uh, made redundant during covid19 wondering about setting up on their own maybe they're self-employed and wondering about becoming a company director instead what advice would you give uh number one is is consider the consequence of your decisions so uh, two two examples spring to mind. Number one is right now, a lot of people are being made redundant. I think COVID-19 is now finally starting to work its way through the economy. Um, number of redundancies, historically, that comes with a number of people saying, "Let's, I, I'm going to go self-employed. I'm going to start my own company. It's a great time to do that. 
it's a great time there'll be a lot of support being given by the government you'll probably have some kind of redundancy package in place that will support that decision for the next few months at least um, seize the moment the consequence of seizing the moment right now is that you and how many others how many others so the marketplace is going to get very crowded very quickly if you go on LinkedIn at the moment and you show any signs of life you will be pounded and pounded with sales I can help your business I can generate leads for you yeah it's it's not a great place to be at the moment and so that is the consequence of starting your own company now um, and I guess back to risk profile you can weigh up what that looks like for you and how happy you are to come into a very competitive marketplace yeah and and that's the that's the point really you need to weigh that consequence against actually do I do I then spend the next three months looking for a job mm. the flip side to that the, the other consequence is that if you wait for maybe a couple of years before deciding to do it uh, when you do finally go self-employed or you start your own business and the economy is picking up again you will have less credibility in front of clients because you've got less trading time behind you you've got less experience you can't talk as competently about uh, managing a business through COVID-19 and that so there are there are consequences to every decision mm. and as, as Helen said use your risk profile to discern which consequence you are willing or not willing to accept and use that as a mantra for going through business you can then use that to say I will and I will not work with these clients. Mm -hmm. So, for example, it's unlikely that we will ever work with a tobacco company or a gambling company. There are there are financial consequences to those decisions. We are not likely to push uh, sales. We're not likely to have massive cold calling campaigns or anything like that. There are consequences to that strategy, and we are comfortable with them. And it's it's that is what you need to get comfortable with when you're first starting out I think and I'm just hearing you talk about risk profile again and thinking there might be someone listening thinking well how do I know what my risk profile is and in my mind that's not that you've got to go do some psychometric personality test it's just literally saying what am I comfortable with yeah it's that it's that simple it's re it really is that simple um yeah yeah great I actually feel, having started this conversation with saying, oh, I get a bit of imposter syndrome and blah, blah, blah. I do find, and I found it the same in the Entrepreneur Podcast, that the more I talk about being a business owner, the more I remind myself what I do know and how confident I can be. We've been doing this for 10 years. We've survived the 2008 financial crisis, mm -hmm. the post-Brexit vote blip that was Ooh, very dear. unpleasant. Yeah, that was, that was painful, that Boris. That was very painful. And now COVID-19, we are coming through very strong. And so the confidence for me uh, has boosted quite a lot over the past 20 minutes. Thank you Oh, very good. Much. No worries. This is <laughs> This is what I'm here for, to make my staff happy. Yes, excellent. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks everyone for listening. As Mark pointed out earlier, this is a bit different to our usual content. So if this is the first time you're listening in, do have a look at our other content for more topics around psychology, leadership, human resources, learning and development. You can find us on all sorts of places, YouTube, Spotify, Anchor FM. Go and find us. There's tons more free resources on our website. And have a great day. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone.